at the start of the new year is a great time to look back and then also to look ahead. And we introduced something to you last week. It's a tool that we're continuing to develop. And if you could pull out the sheet that says, find your next at the top, I just want to mention this again this, this week. What we're moving towards with this is a tool where you'd be able to go online and you'd be able to, to set goals, to assess where you're at with your faith, to be able to say, here are some things I'd love to see. And then for us to help you identify best practices and resources that can help you to get from where you are to where you want to go. So that's where we're going with this. And if you'd like, between now and then, any um, counseling or coaching with that, be sure to let us know. Now, as we're developing the tool, we're looking at all kinds of resources from history, the history of Christianity. One of the resources we're going to be looking at is a study that was done some years ago by a church called Willow Creek Church, where they surveyed, they did this massive survey, thousands, actually tens of thousands of people, and they tried to say, what is really helping? What's helping people grow? The language that they used here, I think we'll have a slide that has it on the screen. We can put up on the screens here. The language they used is, you've got people who are exploring Christianity. You have people that are growing in Christ. You have people who are close to Christ. And you have people who are Christ-centered. And what they wanted to know in particular was, how do you help people in those transitions? What actually helps someone who's exploring Christianity to Make that jump where now they're growing in Christ. What helps the growing to move towards close? What helps the close to be Christ-centered? And they studied all kinds of stuff. You guys, were, were you there when they did the survey? It, so they studied all kinds of things, right? They studied, um, they studied church practices and activities. You know, what are, what are some different sponsored church things? And, and how do they work? And how do they help? And they also studied doing life together apart from structured church activities. And they studied spiritual disciplines and practices and beliefs and all these things. And after this big, massive study, there was one thing in particular that I noticed helped people at every one of these stages. At every one of these places, wherever you were at in your spiritual life, one of the things that helped you move from where you are to that next step is engagement with the Word of God. That was one of the things that, regardless of where you were at, that was something that proved to be a best of the best of the best practices in helping you grow. If you want to take a step forward in 2016, wherever you're at in your faith, if you want to take a step forward, one of the best of the best of the best practices is to engage the Word of God. The family of churches that we're a part of, the covenant, they put the Word of God up at the top of their list too. If you want to pull out another insert, we have another insert that says 10 healthy missional markers. Let's take a look at this really quick. This isn't something that we created. This is something that our denomination came up with. And our denomination is really serious about trying to have healthy churches. They're really serious about that. And so they put together this tool. So when churches come to them and say, hey, we would love to get healthier, they say, here are 10 things to focus on. Out of all the 10 million things you could focus on, here are 10. And if you look at the back, this little microprint here, if you're able to read it without cheaters, right? Um, the, what is at the top of their list? What is it? The Word of God. Centrality of the Word of God. It's at the top of their list too. And the way they, they phrased it on their tool is they said centrality to the Word of God. They, they put a passage that we're going to look at today in just a few minutes, 2 Timothy 3.16. And they said, we believe that the Bible, if you're a healthy church, a healthy missional church, we believe that the Bible is our only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Our preaching and teaching in all settings reflects careful preparation, relevance, creativity. Our people are equipped and growing in their ability to study and apply biblical truth in ways that lead to a scripturally integrated 
life. Now that's a really well-worded summary, and that's a well-chosen verse. Let's take a look at 2 Timothy 3, 16. Let's also look at 17. I'd like to look at that, and then we're going to back up, put it in context. All right? So here's what the passage says. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. I want to let you know as we're opening our Bibles that we believe so much in God's Word that we, we keep a stack of Bibles at our entrance um, each and every week. They're there for you to take and to take home, to have as a gift. So we'd love for you to, to take that home. I also want to hit really pause real quick and just mention thank you, thank you, thank you again for your generosity as a church. Um, we've had a lot of strong years. We've had a lot of strong months. December was our strongest strongest month in any year since that we started. And one of the real practical things you're doing um, when you trust us with generosity is be able to give Bibles away free of charge. And just last week, we had a kid who had never been to church before in his life. One of uh, our members, um, his neighbor invited this kid to come, never been to church before in his life, and he got to go home with a free Bible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for making that possible. I, I don't do enough of that where I stop and, and say thanks. Because I like to dive right in. Here we go. Let's dive right in. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 say this. Oh, I was also going to let you... <laughs> There's a reason why I write out my notes, because um, I forget things. Another thing I, I also wanted to do, because I also know there's a number of people who aren't familiar with the Bible, and it's so, we're so glad you're here. Let me give you a little context before we jump in. The Bible is really a collection of ancient documents. It wasn't a book that was written cover to cover by one person. It's a collection of carefully vetted ancient documents. What we call the Old Testament are, were all in place by the time of Jesus. They were already all in place, already looked at as Scripture. And then these other passages, like the one we're going to look at today, they're a series of letters and writings that were carefully vetted, carefully vetted. And so this is actually a first-century letter that we're looking at today, a first-century letter, real letter from a real person to a real person. His name was Paul, and he writes this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that we may be competent and equipped for every good work. Now, two weeks ago, we launched a brand new teaching series that we're in still now. It's called Emmanuel.Church. And what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to press into how do we honor the name that God gave us? How do we do a great job of honoring that name? And what we're going to do today is we're going to focus on the Word of God. We're going to focus on the Word of God because we can't honor the name. We can't honor the name of Emmanuel unless we honor the word of God. If you're a note taker, we have yet another insert in there for you. It's the green one. We'd encourage you to pull that out and write this down. Disciples of Jesus Christ honor the word. Disciples of Jesus Christ honor the word. Now, again, if you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a lot of word play going on here. That pun was not intended, but it is pretty good. There's a lot of word play going on here. The word of God is not limited to the written word, is it? The Word of God is not limited to the written Word. The Scriptures themselves say it is living and active. And we read in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us as Jesus of Nazareth. So if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are literally a disciple of the Word, the Word of God. And it saddens me that there are folks who will position the word of God up and against Jesus. I've mentioned this before in the service. I remember someone sent me an article once, and the article actually said, they, they said, when you go out and look at a church's website, 
you want to be careful because you don't want to find a church where they put the Bible up at the top of their list of values or beliefs. You want Jesus up there. You want God up there. And, and if you don't believe I'm telling the truth on this, go ahead and Google idolatry of Scripture. And there's a whole group of folks who are, who are teaching that. They're, they consider it a negative thing that you put the Bible and your belief up at the, up at the top of the list. You know, I don't understand that. Because when the Word became flesh, He abided by God's written Word. He quoted God's written Word. He honored God's written Word. And where do we even get the most carefully vetted, most accurate teaching about Jesus? His life is teaching. We get it from the written Word. Now, if you want to elevate the importance of living a Christ-like, spirit-filled, God-honoring life, I will cheer you on. Let's elevate that. Let's elevate following Jesus. Let's elevate being a servant of the Most High God. Let's elevate listening to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. You bet. As we do that, let's not diminish the written word. Jesus certainly didn't. If we as a church are going to honor Honor the name, Emmanuel. We need to honor God's written word. God's word in written form, it serves as a reference point, among other things, to our theology and our decision-making. Here's how I worded that in your notes. Scripture serves as a standard for belief and conduct. It gives us a reference point. It gives us a standard. Because God does speak in lots of ways, doesn't he? The word of God is living and active. Does God speak through nature? Yes, he certainly does. Does God speak through people? Yes, he certainly does. Does God speak through art? Yes. Does God speak through music? Yes. Does God speak directly to our spirits? Yes. The word of God is not limited to the pages of the Bible. It never has been. It never will be. However, one of the things that the written word of God does is it gives us a standard. It gives us a standard by which we can weigh these other possible words up and against. In fact, I'm going to go this far. If you want to learn to hear God's voice with greater clarity in 2016, if you want to be able to discern God's will with greater clarity in 2016, if you want to be able to test teachings and prophecies and, and test the Spirit, as this word says, your first play, and your most important ongoing discipline, if you want those things, is to engage the Word of God. That's one of the ways we learn to recognize the shepherd's voice, recognize God's will, recognize the Spirit's whispers. And one of the things that drew me to our denomination were two questions. Before our, our denomination was a denomination, there were these groups of Christians, and they did this crazy thing. They would get together and actually talk about the Bible apart from Sunday mornings. And they let women speak. And, and, and they, they, they opened them up together and they studied the scriptures together. And they asked each other two questions. I love these questions. These questions drew me in because I wasn't a covenant guy. Our, my first service in a covenant, my first worship service in a covenant church was our first worship service as a covenant church. One of the things that drew me to these folks are these two questions. Where is it written and how goes your walk? Aren't those great questions? You, you ask yourself these questions. You get someone to ask you these questions. You're off to a great, 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 great start. Where is it written? 
how goes your walk? These questions will serve you very, very well. Now, we could go a lot of directions today, a lot of directions today. But with the time we have, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this passage that we started with in context. So we're going to back up. We only can do selective reading here. But let's go back to 2 Timothy um, chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 1. Again, this is from a real first century letter. It was written by a man named Paul. Now, if you're looking for best practices with growing closer to Christ as an individual, if you're looking for best practices of how do we honor God as a church, Paul is a great place to go. Because if ever there was a person who was understood Jesus Christ and his teachings, it was Paul. If ever there was a person who knew how to plant churches, it was Paul. So let's look at what Paul writes. And he's writing this particular letter from a Roman prison. So this has a real context. And when he was writing from that Roman prison, you know who the emperor was? Nero. Ever heard of him? Guy's a nut. Nero, right? So Nero. So Paul knows his time is short. He realizes, I'm going to probably be killed soon. So this could be his last letter that he wrote. So this is a big one. So this is what Paul is writing from death row to his disciple, his co-worker, his friend, Timothy. He writes this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now here Paul uses three overlapping images in three back-to-back verses to illustrate what does it mean to, to honor to honor Jesus Christ. And the first image he uses is the life of a soldier. And he specifically says that soldier sets out to honor the one who enlisted him. And then Paul uses imagery from the world of athletics. And it's interesting because often we think of the Greeks when we think of ancient athletics, but the Romans had their games too. They had their own games that were linked with major religious and imperial festivals. And if you wanted to win in those games, you had to compete according to the rules. Paul says that. And then Paul uses the farmer image, and I'm a country boy, but I did some research on this one, and the metaphor is really powerful in our Western world. In fact, I would love to be able to go off on this tangent for the rest of the service, but let me just give you the image, and then we'll have to come back to our our main point here today. But the image he's using with the farmer working the land is especially powerful because back in that day, generally what you did is you you had a landowner who owned the land and they just sat back and the farmers did all the work. So the landowner reaped the benefits without doing any of the work. And the reason I'd like to go off on that tangent is because in our culture, churchgoers are getting so spoiled that we walk into a building and we're like, well, where's my cup holder? for my reclining seat, you know? We, 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 what if we press into that, that image of an absentee landlord and a hardworking farmer? Just a thought. Let's jump ahead to verse 15. Paul writes this. He says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 
Now, just a behind-the-scenes thing here, each and every week I have a planning tool, I call it, that I use, that I developed to try to prepare messages. And that verse is at the top of my page each and every week, the one I just read. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And if I'm going to honor the name that God gave us, I need to rightly handle his word. I need to live this out, and I also need to make sure that whoever we put up here does the same. But this, t- this passage that I just read there, that goes beyond sermon prep, doesn't it? Because rightly handling the word of truth is also how we live it out, how each and every one of us lives this out. Our lives should be faithful to the word of truth. And Paul continues that thought in verse 16. He says this. He says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are that one guy and that other guy who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they're upsetting the faith of some. Now, if we're going to go by the word of God, are there times where we've got to call people out when they're not handling the word rightly? We do. And if you've been around here for any period of time, you know that we often go to some really hard and controversial and uncomfortable places as a church. From a worldly standpoint, that doesn't make any sense, does it, to go to those places. Because what's going to happen? You go to a controversial place, you're going to gain haters. No matter what stand you take, you go to a controversial place, you're going to gain haters. It is so much easier to stay back and then let's just talk about safe things, right? But if we're going to rightly handle the word of truth, we, we can't do that. And generally, because those hard places, the people who are shouting the loudest are omitting key scriptures, distorting key scriptures, and not rightly handling the word of truth. If we're going to be a church that honors the name Emmanuel, then we often have to go to hard and risky places together and challenge each other with the questions, where is it written, and how goes your walk? Because our aim is not to fit in with our culture. Our aim is not to fill seats. Our aim is to honor the one who enlisted us in this. And we want to be serious about that. Verse 22 says this, Continuing on, Paul writes, Flee, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Well, right now, we are a one TV family. We've been that way for a while. And there's some significant benefits to that that we stumbled into. One of them is we end up If we're watching, often we're watching TV together and we're seeing the same show and then we have an opportunity to talk about it. And having two girls who are coming out of childhood, moving into the teen years here and in the teen years, I've watched a lot of shows where the characters in the show say, oh, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. How many of you know that is often the worst advice you can give a young person, all right? Just follow your heart. Your heart can lead you to a lot of Messed up places, can't it? And a lot of pain and all that. Scripture teaches us so many good things. And one of them, it teaches us there are times where your heart is leading to that bad place. It teaches us sometimes to not follow a sinful heart. And even better than that, it teaches us how to pursue a heart that is renewed and a heart that is 
aligned with the things of God. Scripture also teaches us this. Let's just continue reading with, with what Paul says, picking up with verse 23. He says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for you know they breed quarrels. And I cracked up again this time. Who's writing this? Paul? Paul ever get into quarrels? Only all the time. So it's kind of funny, but... He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Now, again, Paul wrote this. He got into arguments all the time. This is not an absolute, but I believe what he's trying to do is make some important points. One of them, I believe, is needless debates. We could spend so much time as God's people discussing things that we'll never have resolution on because the Bible doesn't nail it down one way or another. Don't get into foolish, needless debates. I believe another point he's trying to make here is don't escalate the tension as much as it depends on you. As much as it depends on you, find ways to de-escalate the tension so that you can have a disagreement in a God-honoring way. As a church, we disagree about stuff as much as any church out there, right? We just disagree on things. One of the marks of a God-honoring church is how you handle that disagreement. So all of this is, and more, leads up to chapter 3. Remember, we started chapter 3, verses 15, 16 through 17. All this leads up to it, and now we're in chapter 3, picking up with verse 1. This is what's ramping up towards where we started. Paul writes this. He says, understand this. In the last days, there are going to come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving the good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. How many of you would say that if these are the signs of the last days, we're probably in the last days? Right. Absolutely. The reality is every generation prior to ours has felt the same way because every generation saw these things. This is a fallen world. And if you view this world through the lens of eternity, 2,000 years is a blink of an eye. We are in the last days. And as we await the return of our king, this is the world we live in. A world where selflessness or selfishness and greed and arrogance and violence are the norm. And you and I are to get tempted and to be pulled into this. Uh, speaking of temptation, I came across this great quote this week. I'd never seen this one before. It says this, I can resist everything except what? Temptation, isn't that good? <laughs> Anyone relate to this? I can relate to this. In these last days, we're going to be tempted and we're going to succumb at different times to temptation. We're going to give in to things we know were wrong and other times we're going to be tempted to seek revenge against those who wrong us. And one of the things that's definitely going to happen in this culture that we live in is we're going to get fuzzy on stuff. We're going to find ourselves getting fuzzy on things that should be clear as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I came across a quote that speaks to that one too. This one took me a little longer to, to catch, but it's really good. The quote says this, We love to overlook the boundaries which we do not wish to pass. Isn't that true? Well, through the word, 
we're reminded of where those boundaries are. And not only that, we're reminded of the one who brought light into our dark world. His commands are not burdensome, nor are they arbitrary. They are designed to point us to abundant and eternal life. And after describing a world that sounds as familiar to us as it did to Timothy, Paul says, avoid those folks. Avoid that teaching as best you can. And then Paul says this. He says, you, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and from how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise through faith, in Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And from death row, Paul says, follow me as I follow the word, even if it leads you here even if it leads you where I am. For Paul, following his example and following the word, they weren't two separate things, were they? You follow me, you're going to follow the word, is what Paul was able to say. So I'd encourage you to take a moment to write this down. Disciples of Jesus Christ, we pursue alignment between our walk and God's word. We pursue alignment. And I use the word pursue on purpose because none of us have this down. And just when you think you've got your walk kind of figured out, then God takes you to that deeper place, that harder place. We do the best we can to pursue alignment with our, between our walk and God's word. In those last days, in these last days, it is so easy to lose our way, and we need that anchor point. We need it, one that does not yield to the gods of this age. Paul refers to God's word as God breathed. Now consider the power of that image, because when God spoke, the universe came into being. And when God breathed, life came into Adam's body for the first time. The word of God is powerful. It is God speaking. It is God breathing. And in written form, God's word teaches us and corrects us and equips us for every good work. Well, before we close our Bibles completely this morning, let's look at what comes immediately after today's passage. Verse, chapter 4, verses 1, and what follows say this, I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to truth. They're going to wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Well, there's a lot of things that could be said about this passage, but the thing that stucks out to me, it's never been easier to surround ourselves with teaching that suits our own passions, is it? Never been easier 
to surround yourself with teaching that already reinforces what you believe or that um, omits certain things or tells you what you want to hear. You can find a lot of professing Christians and they're going to teach you how to accumulate wealth. And if you don't get into the scriptures yourself, you're going to miss what the Bible also says about generosity, stewardship, and being rich towards God. You can find a lot of professing Christians in this world where there's so much violence right now, they'll either teach the extremes of militarism or pacifism. And you go into the scriptures yourself and you begin to realize, wow, maybe there's not a one-size-fits-all for every situation. We sing that beautiful song about, oh, the, the yoke of Jesus is easy, his burden is light. How many of you need that passage once in a while, right? Absolutely. And if you don't go into the scriptures, you might miss that and only hear what God says about take up your cross and follow. And there are certainly times where we need that part. Oh, remember also, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. All of scripture is God-breathed, all of it. And if we listen only to those who reinforce what we already believe, if we only listen to those who tell us what we want to hear, we're going to miss important teaching from God's written word. It's important that we who bear the name Emmanuel read and reflect and study and discuss the written word of God that we may be equipped to know when someone's leaving something out, we may be equipped to know when someone's twisting something, and we may be equipped for every good work. And if we honor God in this way, when our last day comes, when we pass into eternity, here's what awaits the faithful. This is the last section of Scripture we're going to look at here together today. Paul writes this, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And isn't that the deepest longing of every disciple of Jesus Christ, to hear that? Well done. Well done. Well done. And if that's what you want, I hope this was a helpful reminder today that we don't wait for our last day. We submit to the king in the last days. We say to him now, you're the king. All right, well, as we close then, let's make this personal. I have a question for you in your notes. How are you honoring the word of God when we're not together in this place? That's a good one for all of us. I'm asking that question too at home. Because the elders and staff of this church, we're going to do our absolute best to honor the word of God when we're together. We're going to do the absolute best we can to have this be a God-honoring church that honors the written word of God. We will treat the Holy Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testaments, with the dignity they deserve. No manipulation, no spin, no deliberate omissions, no twisting the Bible to fit our agendas. As a church, we'll do our absolute best to align our priorities and our decisions and our behaviors with the Word of God in all its forms. And it's just as important that we all do that when we're not gathered together. That's why I give you that question. Are you honoring the Word of God when we aren't gathered? I um, brought with me the family Bible, the Mallory family Bible. This thing's been in the family since the 1800s. And I try my best to honor 
this book by protecting it. Uh, we didn't let the kids page through it when they were in their uh, younger years. I try to keep it in a spot where it's out of the sunlight and protected and all that. But ultimately, that's not what it means to honor the written word of God in our homes, is it? Because ultimately, this is just a book. It's going to turn to dust. But the word of God is living and active. It's God speaking. It's God breathing. So as we close, let's pray to that end that God will, will show us what it means to honor his word at our home. So would you pray with me, please, as we close? Father, we do pray that. We pray that you will teach us what it means as individuals, as families, as friends, to honor the word of God when we're not together, to honor the word of God when we're watching our team either win or lose, <laughs> to honor the word of God when we're at a restaurant and things don't measure up to our expectations, to honor the word of God when someone hurts or disappoints us, to honor the word of God when, when we get promoted, to honor the word of God in all situations, God. Show us what that means. We pray that you would align our hearts with your heart, our minds with your mind. Show us what it means to honor the word of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you go forth from this place, if you'd like to pray, we have people each and every week that would love to pray with you about anything. God bless you. Have a great week. Go Vikes.